We are currently preaching through a series in Ezra and Nehemiah. And so let's get to our first installment of that here. We're going to read Ezra chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter, okay? So let's turn to that together. You guys, have you guys figured out where Ezra is in your Bibles? It's the book after. I'm still not hearing it. But it's the book before. Yes, that's Nehemiah, because we mentioned that many times. All right, great. All right, Ezra chapter 1. Uh, let's read the word of God together. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a pro proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings, for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the heads of then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Mithridath the treasurer who counted them out to Shesh Bazar, the prince of Judah. This was the inventory. Gold dishes, 30. Silver dishes, 1,000. Silver pans, 29. Gold bowls, 30. Matching silver bowls, 410. Other articles, 1,000. In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and of silver. Shesh Bazar brought all these along with the exiles when they came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you are here. And we thank you, God, that we can read stories like this that reveal who you are to us. And so, God, we ask that you continue to do that just as you've been doing for the past thousands of years so that your people might trust you, love you, and live lives of worship for your glory. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, you know, I want to start off with a question. Have any of you guys ever had something taken from you? Or maybe have any of you ever lost something that was kind of valuable to you in a way that maybe was a little devastating? You know, have you guys ever experienced anything like that? Uh, when I was in high school, believe it or not, uh, I actually acted in a play. Right? Can you imagine me? I guess you can imagine me on stage because I am on stage right now. <laughs> you know, but I, I it was it was it was I was a year twelve, and I just thought, you know, I've always wanted to be an actor. And so I did, but because it was my first time ever and I was about to graduate, they're like, look, you have no experience. You know, you might be good looking, but you have no experience on stage. So we're just going to give you one line. And so they gave me this huge line, but it was just one line. And so all term, I practiced and practiced, you know, I, in front of the mirror. I did everything to make sure I delivered this line with, like, impact, you know. And so finally, the, the performance night comes. And, you know, we're on stage and, you know, the scene is moving and I'm getting excited because my line's about to come. And then I make my way to the front of the stage. And then all of a sudden, some year nine kid 
busts out my line and steals it. And, and you know, and being a professional that I am, I'm not going to be like, hey, man, that was my line, you know, while it's all live, you know. But, oh, man, when we went backstage, I was so angry. I was tearing that year nine kid apart, you know, just yelling at him and yelling at him. And then I went, but the thing is, I went home that, lot, that night and I wasn't, I guess I got over my anger pretty quickly, but I remember the feeling that I had when I went home that night and I was like, and I felt like really lost. I was like, I like practiced for like two months, that one line every night, just to have it stolen from me. And I, I, this feeling of loss was really, it was genuine. It was huge. You know, year 12, we're very emotional people, right? We weren't that young. Um, you know, and that, like experiences like that, though comedic maybe it might be, you know, it happens a lot in life, you know, on, on bigger scales and on more important scales. You know, I've known a lot of Christians who will come up to me as a, you know, and I'm their pastor and they'll be like, Eddie, I really know what God wants me to do. And I'm going to go after it. I'm like, that's awesome. But yet, when you, they go after it, all of a sudden, they realize that the journey they imagined his will was going to be was no, is nothing like what they encountered. You know, I remember when even we were, my wife and I were so excited to start a church, and, but just, we just didn't know it was going to be that hard. You know? And so the journey sometimes is that surprising. You know, there are, are people who are, are still trying to figure out what does God want me to do with my life? And maybe they're, maybe they're turning a corner and they're just starting to figure it out. They're just starting to get excited because they're understanding who God made them to be. And they're starting to move in those directions when all of a sudden someone else comes along and gets the job that you thought you were perfect for. Someone else comes along and gets into that program, someone that you know is not as worthy as you, but yet they got into the program and you didn't. Or maybe you just got dumped by that perfect partner that you knew in your heart and you felt like God was telling you, what's the one? How can stuff like this happen? And all of a sudden, we have this sense of loss and confusion. And a lot of times, you know, we turn to God because we're Christians, but we don't turn to God positively, do we? You know, it's not like you, when something devastating like that happens, you're like, oh, God, thank you. You know, I trust you. It's all good. Let's move on. No, but you're like angry. You're confused. You start to blame God. You start to question God. Every, all those things happen, don't they? And you wonder, what is God doing? I'm sure, you know, we talked about the story of Ezra and Nehemiah a lot last week. And, you know, and we, these, the southern kingdom of Judah you know, they were taken over by the Babylonians and they were exiles. But, you know, let's imagine 70 years previous and you're probably, or 50 years previous, and you're probably sitting there and maybe you just opened up a business as a Jew. You know, maybe you're a teacher and the school's going well. Maybe your whole life is going awesome when all of a sudden the next morning the Babylonians march into your town, take it over, and then you find yourself in another city as, as someone else's slave or servant. You know, I'm sure there were a lot, of, a lot of Jews back then who were like, dude, God, what are you doing? You know? The best part of reading the Old Testament, whenever you pick up your Bible and you start reading the Old Testament, the best part of reading the Old Testament, and maybe especially these books too, is that we get to see this big picture of how God operates in the lives of his people. You know, a lot of times when we're only focused on today, it's confusing. But if we could take a few steps back and see how God operates over years in people's lives, sometimes things start to clarify. 
You know, and the greatest part of reading the Old Testament is that we get to see those big picture things. We get to see what God values. You know, we get to see what is most important to him. And most importantly, whenever we read our Old Testament, especially, we get to see how God personally orchestrates his will and his promises into the lives of his people. And that might be the most encouraging and the most empowering part of reading the Old Testament together. Because the Old Testament really is a story that teaches us, that reveals to us who God is. And the part he really does want to play in each one of our lives. And if there's one thing that I can share with you, and that's, this is the reason for the whole intro, is when you read your Old Testament over and over and over and over and over and over again, what you come to conclude is like, wow, there were a lot of wacko stuff that happened in the Old Testament. But if there's one thing that I know it's true, is that God's, in full, that God's fully in control. And not only is he fully in control of people's lives, but he's fully in control of the world, period. And it's amazing, right? And so therefore, when we read that, what we can conclude for us today in 2021 is that no matter what might be going on in the world today, and, it's, and these days it's a, little, it's a little bit difficult, isn't it? And no matter what might, we might see in front of our faces today, even if we don't understand it or we might be confused about it, the greatest thing is that we know we can trust God that he's fully in control of all of it. That's great, right? So uh, he's working out all things for his glory in and through his people. And so, you know, as you read your, your Bible over and over again, that's what he does. He's in full control. And what that means for us is all the hardships that we go through, all the difficulties that we might experience within our lives, and all the joys that we get to experience with our friends, with our mates, with our churches, all this stuff, all that stuff is in God's hands. All this stuff is all part of his master plan. Not only to make us more like Jesus, because we hear that all the time at church, but especially so that we can have a heart that really does love God. And so that, just like we learned last week, we can live lives of worship. Right? That's the goal. Okay, So I tried to connect last week to this week, and that's what it is. You know, uh, let's get to Ezra. You know, I love how the book of Ezra begins. Because we read this chapter and we think, you know, and you maybe just heard what I just read and you're like, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a really good story. <laughs> you know, and maybe you think it's just a story. But what you have to realize is that it's so much more than just a story. These, this chapter, as well as the next chapter, try to read the next one. We're going to read, we're going to do Ezra chapter two next week. It's, it's like intimidatingly boring. But, you know, when you read these two chapters, it's God's telling us one huge thing. And that's this. That God is a God who keeps all of his promises. If he's promised something to you, he's going to keep it. If he's promised something to his people and the church, he's going to keep it. Why? Because he's a God who keeps his promises. You know, the story of Ezra and Nehemiah is the story of God fulfilling the promises that he made to the pro through the prophets Jeremiah and Isaiah 70 years previous where he said that he was going to restore Jerusalem. He was going to rebuild the temple. He was going to return his people back to the holy city. And it really is a wonderful story of promise. And, I, and my hope is that as we study these books together, that it'll cause you to trust in God. And that it'll cause you to really personally trust in him so much that you'll live 
a life of worship, no matter what the world looks like and no matter what the circumstances might be in front of your face today. Okay, so God keeps his promises. And in our passage today, he reveals that he keeps his promises in two ways. And here's the first way. God keeps his promises by moving hearts. God moves hearts. Let's look at verse 1-1. It says, in the first year of King of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the, Lord, the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to also to put it in writing. So what did God do in 1-1? He moved the heart of Cyrus. Is Cyrus a, a Christian or a non-Christian? He's a non-Christian. But God moves his heart, right? And so right from the beginning of this book, from the first verse, we get this sense that God is orchestrating stuff in the world, even through non-believers. He's orchestrating stuff. And what we have to realize is that this is not a special event. This is what he's been doing all throughout history, right? He orchestrates these things. You know, throughout the Old Testament, we read of God hardening hearts. You know, like a lot of times we'll read the story of Pharaoh and God hardened his heart or, or, or the story of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar. And it says that God hardened his heart. But in stories like these, we read that God also softens hearts and move heart, moves hearts to do his will as well in a positive way. God is in full control of all the hearts in the world. Proverbs 21.1 says this, it says, a king's heart is like streams of water in the Lord's hands. He directs it wherever he chooses. I love this verse, right? It, in the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. Right? It's amazing. God is in full control of everyone's heart. Do you guys believe that? God is in full control of everyone's heart. And that doesn't mean that he's manipulating every heart every second. That's not what it means. But it just means that every heart is under his watch. And when he needs to do his will, that's when he moves in the hearts of people to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And especially in our context today, that's when he chooses to move in the lives of people and the hearts of people so that he might keep his promises to his people. Right? And that's what's happening in our passage today. You know, all throughout the book of Ezra, there are prophecies that God is going to fulfill. We won't go over all of them, but we'll just go over. Do you know in the first four verses of our passage today, there were prophecies, four prophecies spoken through Jeremiah and Isaiah that he actually fulfills very purposefully. If you were an educated scholar Jew back then, you would have seen, oh my goodness, God is actually fulfilling all of his promises, even in the first four verses of our text. So what I'd like to do is I want to show you how God does that uh, and those four promises. Number one, God promised that he was going to bring his people back to Jerusalem. Look at verse 1-1. It says that he moved the heart of Cyrus in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. But what was that word spoken by Jeremiah? Jeremiah 29-10 to 14 says this, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Let's go to verse 14. God says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into Exile. God promised this 70 years earlier. And he says, see, 
I'm keeping my promise to you. And how am I going to do that? By moving Cyrus's heart to make that happen. The second promise that he fulfills is to rebuild the temple and the city of Jerusalem through Cyrus. Verse 2, he says, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. He says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. This is actually the fulfillment of a promise that God made in Isaiah 44, 28, which says, who says of Cyrus, he wasn't even existing yet, right? He is my shepherd and he will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. What is this verse saying? It's saying that God moved Cyrus's heart so that God can use him to rebuild the temple here in this book of Ezra, and then also to rebuild the city of Jerusalem in Nehemiah. But most importantly, I love, I love what it says in Isaiah 44, because it says God moves Cyrus's heart so that Cyrus can do as God pleases. I love that. God moves people so that they will do his will. Right? And that's something that you need to understand. Number three, God promised to restore people to their land. Land one three says, any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who's in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. This is the fulfillment of Jeremiah 16, 15, where it says, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, for I will restore them to the land I gave their ancestors. And in this book, he's restoring people back to their land. And we're going to see in a moment how he does that. And he does that by moving the hearts of the people, right? Number four, and this is the last one I'll go over. God promised that they would flee Babylon. 1.4 says, and in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver, gold, goods, livestock, and free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. This is once again the fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah 48.20, which says, um, where God commands the Israelites to leave Babylon, flee from the Babylonians, announce this with shouts of joy, and proclaim it. And what's amazing about this particular verse, as well as up till verse 6 in uh, Ezra chapter 1, is that God moves the heart of Cyrus the king to help the Jews flee Babylon, which is absolutely ridiculous. It's not just like, hey, let's go rebuild the temple, but why don't we support all these Jews as a nation together to do it? And it's absolutely radical. And so how did the Israelites respond to all this in verse 5? Verse 5 says that all the leaders of the families... And all the leaders of the tribes rose up to go to Jerusalem together, right? God moved the hearts of the families to leave. And I love that part. So it's not just God moving the king, but God's also convicting the people and moving the people to actually go back. And God is moving all these people to accomplish his will together, and so, you know, when God wants to do something, and this is, the, this is the whole point. I know I took a long time to explain all this, but this is the whole point. When God wants to do something, when God promises that he's going to do something, he's going to move people to do it, right? Non-Christians, non-believers, neighbors, kings, doesn't matter. God will move people to accomplish his will. God will move people to accomplish his will. 
promises, right? Knowing this, how does it play out in the life of a Christian in 2021? I, I think it kind of plays out in two ways. And that's simply this. Here's the first one, and it's, hopefully it's very logical. If God is a God who keeps his promises, then we as his people better know what those promises are, right? It's that simple, isn't it? If God is going to keep all of his promises, and we know he's going to move hearts, he's going to move history to keep his promises and to make those promises happen, then it might be a good thing for his people to know exactly what those promises are, right? Because once we do, that's when we can start banking our lives upon the promises of God. You can even start asking God to fulfill those promises in our day, in our lives today. And that's what's amazing. You know, last week we said that it's very important for believers to learn how to worship according to the truth. Today what we're saying is that it's very important for believers to live their lives trusting in God's promises right? You know, we're going to talk a little more about this later. But the greatest, the greatest reason why God wants us to live according to his promises is because when we trust in him for those promises in our lives and in this world, that's when we get to see God. And that's when we get to experience God to the point where our love deepens for him and our thanksgiving and trust in him deepens. And that's the whole point. And that's why God wants us to be so involved with trusting in him. You know, a lot of times as a pastor, this is what I experience so often, a lot of my counseling, you know, it doesn't have to do with um, circumstances that happen so badly in people's lives that they need help with it. A lot of times people need counseling um, when things that they thought God was going to do, he didn't in their lives. You know, you know, a lot of people come up to me and say, hey, I thought this was God's will. I thought God promised this in my life. I thought God was going to do this, but he didn't. So what's up with that, Eddie Bang? And a lot of times, if not most of the times, I just have, I don't have the heart, you know, to say, I don't think God promised any of those things. I think that was just your fantasy. I don't, I never say that. But half the time it's true. Like, I feel like asking, where did you get that? What verse did that come from? Where among his promises did he promise that he was going to make you famous? You know, I, I know, you know, you wanted to be a YouTube star and you felt like God wanted that for you. But, you know, after one year, having only 23 followers, maybe you should think different. Or what verse told you that anyway in the first place? You know, where did, did God speak to you? I hope he did that, you know, or something. But, you know, a lot of times Christians get so disenchanted by God. They get so disappointed by God because they're trusting in promises that I don't know actually really do exist. You know what I'm talking about? But there are so many in Scripture that actually do exist. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more and how I would deceive myself, you know, when I, when I close my sermon today. It's really sad, but there are so many people who turn away from the faith simply because they're trusting in promises that weren't even there, you know? But it's so important for us to know what God actually does promise. So can I ask you to do this? Can you pick up your Bible? Can you pick up your Bible, your Old Testament, and just read it again? And as you read it, and don't just read the stories, but be on the lookout for the promises that God makes to his people. And then be on the lookout for how he makes those promises a reality in the lives of those people, when he does it, how he does it, in what manner he does it. And the reason why that's so important is because, number one, you'll come to this conclusion, he always keeps his promise. He always does, Right? The second thing you'll realize is, whoa, he, a lot of times he orchestrates his promises in people in ways that I never would have imagined. And that's what starts to teach you that maybe what you're going through today might be a disappointment, but it actually is something that's going to move you towards God tomorrow.
you know? And this is the hope of reading scripture and understanding who God is within our lives. So can I, can you, can I, can I ask you to do that? Secondly, can I ask you to do one more thing practically if you want to learn how to grow in this area is, you know, the next book you read, can you put, can you pick up a biography of a Christian who's been faithful till death, you know? And the reason why, and I love reading biographies, is because if you read enough biographies of Christians like I do, you know what you're always going to realize? Here's the same theme. This person was faithful to God. They wrote a book about this person because he did one, he did one thing. She just did one simple thing. And you know what it is? They banked their lives on God's promises. That's all they did. Everything was against them, but they said, no, but Isaiah said this, so I'm just going to trust it. You know, Corinthians said this, so I'm going to trust it. God said this, so I'm going to trust it. And they did till death. There's a reason why books are written by, you know, about people like that. But those things are so encouraging and they're so challenging and, and it makes you realize, wow, this is who we're supposed to be and who God saved us to be. So can you do that? If you're going to bank your life on his promises, you better know what he actually promises. That's number one. Second thing that we can do today in 2021 is this. Um, the second way this plays out in our lives is, is prayer. We need to become people of prayer. And it's very, very simple. If we know that God fulfills his promises... And if we believe that he moves hearts to fulfill his promises, that we need to become people who constantly are asking God to move people's hearts to fulfill his promises in our day. Do you guys get that? That's what we should be doing. And it doesn't have to be a big picture thing. It could be little picture things as well, right? You know, if there are certain CG members in your CG that maybe their hearts are, are, are ice cold towards God, pray for them. God, you got to move them. You want them to be on fire for you. I know you do. You, you, brought, you brought Christ into this person's life because you want them to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what you said his whole purpose in life is. So pray that into the life of that person. Do you know what I'm saying? We're praying his promise into that person's life. If you pray for your church leader, God, make sure this church leader leads with your heart and your character, with your values in mind and not theirs. Right? That's what biblical leaders should be leading with. We can pray for our government leaders. God, we pray for these government leaders that they're going to make policies and decisions according to your truth and not their opinion and not what will get them more popular. Pray that into your government leaders. You know, pray, God, pray for our nation. Pray for our city, that God will move hearts so that people will fear him and love him and follow after him. These are the things that God desires, and not only in his people, but in the world. But how much are you praying your prayers? How much of your prayers are dedicated to praying the promises of God into people? Do you know what I'm saying? This is, this is what we need to start doing as a people. If we're convinced that God keeps his promises and he's going to move people to keep those promises, then we need to be praying for God to move people to make those promises alive and real in our world today. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is what he saved us to be. Let's be those Christians who pray like that, right? Let's be a part of that. I want to see God fulfill his promises in our generation, in our day today. Don't you? That might be some of the greatest work that we do. Let's be a people that, do, that does that because we believe God keeps his promises by moving hearts. Secondly, God keeps his promises by providing all that is needed. Let's look at verses 4 to 7. 
It says, and in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Now, what you have to realize is Cyrus is reading this thing aloud to the people, and people are like, oh my goodness, God's sending us back to Jerusalem. That's one thing to celebrate. Everyone's going ec ecstatic. It's absolutely wonderful. But then, after the celebration dies down, you got to realize um, there's some realistic people, people who like to keep their feet on the ground, right? And a lot of times that's when practical questions start being asked. And if I was one of the Jews, maybe these are some of the questions I'd start asking. Oh, that's so great. He's sending us back to Jerusalem. But how are we going to get there? It's 1,500 kilometers away from where we are right now. Are we going to walk? How long is that going to take? Through the desert? How are we going to do that? What about food? What are we going to eat along the way? Are we going to hunt and, you know, what about protection? Who's going to protect us? Are we going to go by ourselves? Did he say that we were supposed to rebuild a temple? With what tools? With what skills? We weren't taught in anything, you know? No one taught us how to, we don't have any tools. Who's going to fund this thing? And there's a lot of real questions, aren't there? But then all of a sudden you hear, oh, by the way, King Cyrus says, God told me, everyone in my country, they have to give you silver, they have to give you gold, they have to give you tools, they have to train you, they're going to give you food, they're going to give you everything that you need, and an escort back to Jerusalem, don't worry. Then how would you feel as a, as a Jew? You'd be like, oh my God, God not only keeps his promise, but he like provides everything that we need to make it happen. And you'd be floored. Your faith would skyrocket. There's nothing that you won't believe that God can't do, not only in you, but tomorrow. And that's what happened to these Jews. God made the unthinkable. God made the impossible possible, down to the very last crumb, down to the very last penny. And it blew your heart and your faith away. What's the point? When God keeps his promise, he provides all that is needed, right? Not only does he move hearts, but he provides all that is needed. Abraham, one day God woke, Abraham woke up. God said, oh, by the way, I need you to leave. Where am I supposed to go? Doesn't matter. Just leave. So he packs up his whole family and leaves. Wife's like, where are we going? He's like, I don't know. And he leaves. And for many, many years, he just wanders. But does he survive? He flourishes. How? I don't know. God. God provides everything that he needs. You know, Moses takes the people out of Egypt. And they wandered a desert for 40 years, right? I just want you to think about that. A whole people wandered around a desert. I mean, someone's got to die. People got to die. No, but God provided for them all that they need. They all eventually died. But, you know, God provided all that they needed. But you know what my favorite story is? Here's my favorite story. Moses says, hey, God promised us that we're supposed to have the land of Canaan. So I'm going to send 12 spies to go check out and explore the land of Canaan. Twelve spies go out. Ten come back and say, dude, uh, the people there are giants, and they're going to slaughter us, so we can't go. But then there's two people out of the twelve, Joshua and Caleb, who says, well, screw all that. God says it's ours. God says he's going to give it to us. Let's just go. And they say, let's go right now. 
right? I love that. And the reason why they do is because it's very simple. If God says so, he's going to provide all that we need. It doesn't matter what's in front of us. It doesn't matter how high that mountain is. It doesn't matter how big the challenge is. If God promises, he's going to provide all that we need so that his promises will come true. And that's exactly what happened. You know, and that's why Joshua and Caleb were the leaders into the next generation, right? And, and the thing is this, you know, God will always, this is something we need, to know, we need to know and truly believe, that God will provide all that we need to keep his promises within our lives. And so definitely, it, so then it becomes simply a matter of faith, whether we're going to trust him and we're going to obey in faith or not. This morning I woke up and I... Uh, I rarely do this on Sundays, but I checked my Facebook page on my computer, you know, and um, the first post that came up uh, is a post from uh, some close friends of ours in Cambodia. They're missionaries in Cambodia. And the picture that they posted was a picture of um, their optometry shop in Cambodia. And let me just read you the caption that they, they wrote under the, the photo. It says, when God calls us to do something, he will give us the strength to accomplish it. When God, when God calls you to do something, he will give you the strength to finish it. And I looked at this photo, and it's not a, when I say optometry shop, it's not, a, it's not a photo of like pairs of glasses like you always see in an like optometry advertisement. But it's a photo of this really expensive piece of equipment that you would have no idea what it is. I, I don't have no ideas, but I know it's from his optometry shop or her optometry. Anyway, and it moved me so deeply. And the reason why it did is because my wife and I, um, we've known this couple for many, many years. I've known this couple since the first day I got off the plane, you know, in Australia. And we've known this couple from being like these awesome, faithful Christian marketplace workers. You know, he was an IT consultant. She was an optometrist here. And, you know, they're just faithful. They love God. But then all of a sudden we've seen them move from that to becoming full-time missionaries in Cambodia over the past 10 years. And that journey has been absolutely like... Wonderful. You know, when they went over to Cambodia to become missionaries, they did all these various ministries in Cambodia. But one day, about five or six years ago, they kind of shared with us, we believe God has put it upon our hearts to disciple the people in our local area. I was like, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. But we believe that we're supposed to do it through a business, like by opening up a shop. And through this shop, I want to use the skills that God's given me. And through this shop, I want to disciple the people in our local area. I want to get people to become Christians using the shop. And then I'm going to partner with all the local churches so we can all be on the same page to reach this town together. And there's a part of me that's like, oh, my God, that's so awesome. But then the realist in me is like, oh, man, it's a little bit dreamy. <laughs> you know, but then I'll go, great. And I was like, well, do you have any money? And they're like, no. Do you have a place, like an office space that you guys are kind of like eyeing or renting or anything? Like, no. How much does it cost to get the equipment to do that? They said, I don't know, a few hundred thousand. And I said, Where, where's that going to come from? They're like, I don't know. And so they're like, we want to start praying about this. And over the course of the next year, all of a sudden we start to hear all these stories about people just donating money, about all these people who are literally um, donating hundreds of thousand dollars of equipment, shipping it over to Cambodia for free, you know? And their shop opened. And if you were to talk to them now, we, we talked to them recently. They have partnered with so many local churches 
They disciple leaders in that shop. They've built Christians. They've saved Christians, built Christians, disciple Christians to take over that shop. They run after-school programs every day with the local children so they can share the gospel through English and do all these crazy things. And then now recently they tell us, oh, we can't wait. I was like, what? We want to open up another shop somewhere else. I said, do you have any money? Do you have any shop? <laughs> like, no, no, no. But we don't care because we just believe that God's going to provide everything. You know, and what we saw in our friends, like if you knew them 10 years ago, they're the most conservative people you'll ever meet in your whole life. They never take risks. You know, they'll never do anything that's not secure and safe. But now they've become these like joggernauts of faith. They don't care if the mountain's against them. If God says this is what they're supposed to do, then they just fully trust that God's going to provide in every single way. I love hanging out with them, you know, because it's so challenging. God always provides, you know. They're convinced that no matter what God wants to do, he's going to provide everything for you to do it. You know, God truly provides all that we need to keep his promises within our life. Maybe it's to build you. Maybe it's to build a ministry through you. Or maybe it's just to make his glory greater in your life. We need to believe that God is working that good within our life and he's operating in that way within our lives actively every single day. You know, maybe there's a person in your life that's absolutely annoying, a workmate, a classmate, you know, but you feel like God wants you to love that person. Do you believe that God will give you and provide you his love and his heart to love that person as Jesus would? You know, you have to if God's calling you to love that person. You know, maybe there's a sin or a temptation that you struggle to overcome every single day. Do you believe Every day, every moment that God will give you the out. God will give you the strength. God will give you the strategies and the community to help you overcome that temptation every single day of your life, right? Do you believe that God will provide that? You know, maybe there are certain things that you love more than Jesus Christ. Maybe you have personal challenges and personal values within your life that prevent you from living fully for Jesus Christ. Maybe there are certain world conditions that disturb you profoundly and even cause you to fear. Maybe you feel like God is calling you to a particular ministry or a difficult ministry and all you see is the mountain. All you see are the challenges. So here's the question. Do you believe that God can change your heart to value him more? Do you believe that God can change other people's hearts so that they will value Christ as well? Do you believe that he can redeem what is broken today in order to give him glory tomorrow? Do you believe that he will give us, gift us, provide us things like eternal perspective, wisdom, and every other thing that we need to do as well? We need to learn how to operate like that because this is what God saved us to be. This is what it means to be a child of the almighty God. This is what it means when we say that we're going to live by faith and not by sight because we believe that he will not only keep his promises in us and through us, but that he's going to provide all that we need in order to keep those promises within our lives. Look what it says in Matthew 6.33. I love what it says in this verse. You've probably memorized it as a kid. But here we go again. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Have you guys memorized this verse? Do you guys know what this verse is? It's God's promise to you. And if it's God's promise to you, what did we say he's going to do? He's going to keep it in your life. 
right? What does this promise say? It says that he will always give us all that we need to live for him. Always, whether it's food, shelter, clothing, money, strength, or holiness, wisdom, whatever it is, God will always provide all that we need. So what is the conclusion of this verse? Therefore, live for him first, trusting that he will. That's what this verse is saying. Live for God first, trusting that he will, because he will, because God always keeps his promises. No matter what your situation looks like, no matter what's going on in this world, Live for him first because he will always keep his promises and he will always provide all that you need in order to do it. You guys get it? Cool. God keeps his promises by moving hearts. God keeps his promise by providing all that is needed. And since these are true, there is no reason or excuse that we have not to pursue him with all that we have. As I close, I just want to share one, one of the biggest lessons that I learned being a Christian about the promises of God over the past 30 years of my life. You know, ever since I became a a believer, I think deep in my heart, in the back of my heart, I never explicitly say it, but ultimately, I kind of believe that because God loves me and because I'm a child of God, my happiness must really be his priority, right? I don't know if we ever say that. I don't know if we ever explicitly, you know, admit that, but there's a part of us that believes, okay, I became a Christian, so God's for me, right? So therefore, the things that I pursue, he's got to bless, or, you know, and that kind of mentality, so every time I found myself unhappy in life or disappointed by what's happening or going on in my life, I always question God. You know, even as a pastor, I don't know how many times I question God, right? Uh, when, I, when our church plant failed, I went real dark, right? It's, it's bad. I questioned God. I questioned the existence of God. I questioned the goodness of God. You know, I questioned all these things. Um, But after many years of studying scripture and learning to walk with God and really looking at scripture slightly differently now from a different perspective and trying to live faithfully, I finally realized, number one, that my happiness is never God's agenda. And so if if that's a wake-up call, hopefully that's a good wake-up call. Our happiness is never God's agenda. But what is, is his glory. And the promises that God gives us and the promises that he fulfills as a guarantee within our lives are the ones that position me to give him more glory, right? Um, A lot of times, in order to position me to do that, God introduces difficulties and trauma. Sometimes we need to be exiled. Sometimes discipline has to happen. Sometimes certain circumstances God introduces within our lives so that our hearts can finally see the truth and realize who he's all about so that we're able to worship him in truth, in his truth and not ours, in his truth and truly find our joy. And, you know, uh, and our, our, my story and, you know, our story is not a story of a lot of successes, but our conclusion really is that God is so faithful to us. And it's not because of all the successes or anything like that. There are a lot of miracles they went on. There were a lot of great stories, but there were a lot of traumatic experiences too. But the reason why I say that he's so faithful is because when I look at who I am now, 30 years after I became a Christian, I truly desire his glory more than I ever did before. And I think in the, in the eternal perspective, that's a win, you know? 
God is so faithful. He always keeps his promises by moving hearts, changing hearts, providing all that we need so that his glory would reign in our hearts and in this world. Let's be a people that desires him to do more than anything. Uh, let's be a generation that seeks him first, trusting and praying because we know that he keeps his promises. Let's pray. Can I just tell you that God, no matter what you see in front of you, no matter what you think might be going on, God is working in your life. He is actively working in your life. And his goal is not only to make you like Jesus, but his goal is so that his glory might increase in your life, so that you would value his glory above all. And he's always going to be faithful to that promise. So seek him first. Live for him first. Trusting that he's going to provide all that you need. Trusting that he's going to even move your heart to do so. Let's do that. Maybe there are some of you that know what God is calling you to. Pray and trust in him to do that. Just maybe God is calling you just to trust in him and to have faith. And to keep on moving, trusting in him. But no matter where you might be today, let's ask God to help us just trust in him with whatever we see in front of our face today. Let's pray. because you are so faithful to us. We praise you. We thank you that you are so faithful to us. So God, we ask that. I ask for, I want to pray on behalf of everyone in this room and even for the people who are watching. God, that you'll teach us and train us on how to really trust in you to just believe that you're working and that you're going to provide, that you're going to do whatever is needed so that you can, your glory might increase within our lives. First and foremost, change our hearts so that that's what we would value most. And God, then use us in our generation today to do your will. May your will be done in us. And Father, help us to be a people who truly operate our lives by faith and not by sight. Trusting in your promises, trusting in your character, trusting that you are actively working in us. So that you might receive all the glory through us and our generation. We thank you, God, 
for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.